And to all the people of God, good morning on this beautiful, beautiful day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it as we celebrate all sorts of great things going on this weekend. Uh, hopefully the plebes have enjoyed their, uh, their weekend. Just say yes. Close enough. And 100th night, you know, 70 days into it is even better next week. So God is good to us, and we are thankful for that because we are his people, and we come to his, into his presence today with praise and with thanksgiving and with a joy because the Lord has done great things. And that's why we celebrate. We gather together to give him that thanks and praise because he deserves that. What else can we do? Oh, my goodness, Lord, just think about this. Thank you, God, for that great gift and that great love he has demonstrated. And so we sing, and so we praise, and so we worship, and so we lift up everything in his name to do his bidding and to bring up his glory so that the world may know. And we join with Christians all over the world today to praise him and to honor him and to glorify him. And it's exciting that we get to do a part of that here uh, in our own small way. And so let us celebrate that. Let us rejoice in that. Let us be a, a welcome guest at the table of our Lord this morning as we commune together and with the Lord. Let us give him the worship and the praise he deserves. So with that thought in mind, let us take our hymnal, our hymnal, our bulletin, excuse me. Take your bulletin and let us call ourselves into his presence. Stand as I read and you respond from Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass in the morning. Morning springs up new, but by evening is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All of our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to seven Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let us pray. Dear Lord, indeed, you are our dwelling place. Where else can we go but to you, our creator and redeemer? Dear Lord, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so while we have breath, so that the stones do not have to cry out this morning, dear Lord, we will praise the name of Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son who has come to save us. And we celebrate his redemption, his life that takes us beyond our death. Dear God, we are faced with your anger, and yet we are comforted by the salvation that you provide in Jesus. And for that, we are grateful. Dear God, we know that your anger has been set aside, and so we celebrate. And great is the fear and the worship and the adoration that is due you this morning. Lord, teach us, I pray, so that we may indeed gain a heart of wisdom this morning. 
We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. As we process into his presence this morning, we will sing hymn number 78. Now, as you look at that hymn on page, or hymn number 78 in the red hymnal, please notice that there are actually six verses. So there are two more down there at the bottom. So if he keeps playing, don't think we're done yet. We're going to sing all six this morning. Let us sing together God's word. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Because of his great goodness has been our help all through the ages. 
you and I gather to worship his name, and in that thankfulness we can bow before him and pray. We can bow before him and ask his blessing and his forgiveness. We can bow before him and ask for his help, our ever-present help in our times of need. Certainly we echo what the psalmist said in Psalm 139. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and light become night around me, even the darkness will, be not, will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I will never forget the first time I got to wear NVGs in the army. And you look and you could see in the dark. It was really amazing. Now they're just commonplace. You and I, we have to work really hard to see in the dark. And yet we serve a God who darkness is as light. To him. He has seen us since we were conceived. He knows us well. He knows all our days. And so we can come to him because he knows us. And we do not have to be afraid because he knows us in Jesus Christ. So let us bow before him and pray over this psalm this morning for our hearts and our needs. And then as we conclude together, let us share together this first Sunday the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God and creator of heaven and earth, you created me, you created each one here. Dear God, you are wonderful in your originality, in your paying attention to the smallest detail. Dear God, that the eye works, that the fingers work, that our voice works to praise your name. Dear God, how glorious it is and how we praise you for that great gift of life, this wonderful creation that we get to inhabit and enjoy. Dear God, we recognize that it is a creation still under curse, and yet even in the curse, the beauty of it and the, the joy of it is overwhelming. And thank you. Lord, forgive us, though, because in this world we do not honor it. Lord, we not only abuse our world, we abuse one another even as we abuse ourselves with the sins that so easily beset us. Dear God, we forget that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so we treat life cheaply. Lord, we end it before it's ever born. We snuff it out at the end because it's just not worth it. Dear God, we treat others and see them only as objects for our own selfish ends. And so, God, we come before you sinners. We come confessing and seeing ourselves as you see us. And yet, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come under his blood and we come under his name and we come before your throne begging your forgiveness by the authority and the work of Jesus Christ. Dear God, we believe in our hearts. We confess with our mouths that God has raised him from the dead, that he is indeed the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he has lifted the curse, he has paid the price. And so, dear God, we recognize how precious are those thoughts, how glorious it is to know we are forgiven. 
that we do not have to stay in that darkness, but that in Christ we live in light. Dear Lord, hear us this morning as we pray through that, as we seek that, as we hunger to know that. And then feed us by your word. Feed us around your table. Feed us, Holy Spirit, so that we walk away from here filled up in our souls and in our spirits with the goodness of the Lord. Then, Lord, teach us to live and not only pray, but to share and to be what our Lord taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power forever and ever. Amen and amen. God is good and he hears us when we pray. Let us stand and sing his praise back as we celebrate his goodness to us. So we share together 10,000 reasons and here I am to worship.
Children, you're dismissed for Children's Church. The rest may be seated. Today's Old Testament reading comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verses 3 through 12. You can find that on page 664 in your pew Bibles. Again, that's Ecclesiastes 9, 3 through 12, on page 664. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love 
their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life, in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the grave where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. The New Testament reading today is from the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 35 through 40. This is on page 1032 in your pew Bible. Again, that's Luke 12, 35 through 40, on page 1032. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. Like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve. will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this. The owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The word of the Lord.
Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of our mouths, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Like the psalmist of old, we pray and cry out that the words spoken will be your words, that the words we meditate on and that we hear can be the truth of your word, so that we can be a people who then walk out of here changed, ready to see the world changed because of Jesus. Lord, hear our prayer, I ask in your name. Amen. Learning how to count. It's an important thing. It's always good to know because in knowing how to count, it keeps you out of trouble so that like maybe you know when you're out of money. It's good to be able to count. It's good to be able to count when you see the sign that says, you know, 5555, and you can count and go, hmm, maybe 70 is higher than 55 and I shouldn't be going this fast. Counting is good. Counting is important. Counting is not something that we should take lightly or just be allowed to be ignored and, and shoved away as though somehow it didn't meet some standard. No, counting's good. And the better we count, the less trouble we can find ourselves in. This week, as we continue on with uh, what this building has to say to the praise of God week in and week out, this week we are going somewhere where probably most of you have never seen, and I can't even point out. Y'all can. Y'all are the only ones that can see it. It's right over there behind that big column in what's called the gallery, the baptistry gallery. Uh, for those who are of a tradition to baptize your child and bring them and mark them with the covenant sign into the uh, kingdom and the family of God in that sense, uh, you go there and are baptizing your infant. And we'll talk about that another time. But what's interesting is as you walk back out of that gallery, if you look up and to the right, you see the angel that is on the front of your bulletin this morning. And it is a fascinating symbolism to have this beautiful, precious, newborn child. And as you are walking out, having just marked them with the sign, dedicating them to the Lord, wanting them to grow in fear and admonition of God's word, his truth, his ways, as you are seeking that to be the kind of life you want for that child, as you walk out, look up, and you see this angel standing there, sitting there, holding on to an hourglass that is broken. Which is a reminder, even as you are beginning life, be realistic, be honest, know that death waits for you. And so you and I have to learn how to count what counts. You and I have to know, we have to accept the reality that none of us make it out of this alive. And as such, then you and I need to make sure that what we are doing day in and day out is worth the trouble. It's worth the effort of what we're doing so that when the time comes and that broken hourglass is now us, and our time has come that this world will realize and see in us a life well lived. A life that I pray is lived for the kingdom, lived for the gospel, lived for Jesus Christ. There's a poem that I often use, uh, read a little bit of this morning. 
It's called the dash. When I'm out doing funerals, uh, it is an important thing as we are looking at the cemetery and seeing all the headstones all around us. And it says this in the poem by Linda Ellis. It says, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was that dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth, and now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. You and I are living through that dash even now. Keith Goods' world starts in 1962. For cadets, that was in another century, almost a galaxy far, far away and a long, long time ago, I know. My hopefully dash will last a little bit longer, but you and I all, when we start with the day, we know the last day is coming, and so the challenge for us all is, Lord, how do I make it count? Go to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. We've spent a little bit of time in this particular chapter back in November as we were doing and dealing with the cadet prayer. Talking about how do we maintain the honor of the Corps in doing our duty. And we talked a little bit about, well, it means that we have to be significantly different than this world. And in learning how to count, I thought it good for us to come back and revisit it a little bit. Not so much the first verses, but verse 8 through 16 especially. You see, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, right off the bat, you and I are called to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Those whom the Father loves, those that the Father gathers around him, and, and the more time you spend with the Lord, guess what? The more you want to be like the Lord. For all our plebes here, it's a good reminder. Think about yourself last July and think about yourself now. Well, you've kind of taken on the aura of the place. You know the rhythm of the place. You know how fast you can change and how quickly you need to be down there. You know which upperclassmen to avoid and which ones are not going to give you a hard time. You know which professors, y'all are figuring out which instructors to take and which ones to just endure. I don't know. You see, you have come to imitate this place because you've just spent your time here at this place. Well, if you and I are going to imitate God, the assumption is going to be that we are spending time with God because we're his loved children. He wants to spend the time with us. He wants us to be in his presence. He, we live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You and I, if we are going to make that time count between our baptism, our birth, and our death, when that angel brings the broken hourglass and says, your time is up, you and I had better figure out what this life of love looks like and how we live it in such a way that gives God glory and that brings light to this very dark world. Now, right off the bat, verse 7, or 3 through 7, it is a reminder, there's a lot that we're not supposed to do. 
And we hit on that pretty hard back in November, but it is the reality and it is the reminder this morning, church. But among you, there must not even be a hint. There must be no rumors. There must be no inclination. There must be no suspicions. No one should look at us and go, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. There should be none of that in the areas of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. These are improper. These, these, these don't fit. These shouldn't even be associated with us. You and I are to be a people who are God's holy people. And if we're holy, that means we are set apart for God. It means that there is no immorality sexually. That you and I understand what the body is for and how we use it and give it to another. And where are the good and the bad things to do with that and how we do that. We've got to figure that out. There's no impurity. There's no filthiness. It's, it, it's the idea of taking your, your marshmallow that's just coming from the fire and it's all nice and gooey and it falls on the ground. And now it's all dirty and it's just disgusting and you're going, eh, I don't think so. It, it's a life that is not pure, that is not set apart. And it's a life of greed, a greed that's never content, that always wants more, that is happy to use any of you in order to make me happy, regardless of what it costs you. Y'all, the impure, the immoral, and the greedy, the Bible plainly says, none of these people, verse 5, for such are idolaters, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. Understand, if you are going to live your life this way, and you are going to constantly worship and make as your ultimate, the one that will give your time and your attention and your talent, the one that gets all your adoration and all your praise, those things that, that draw you for purpose and meaning and an ultimate identity. If you are not finding those in Jesus Christ, if your purpose and why I am here and what I am here for is not answered in Christ, if it is just the immoral, impure, and greed that drives you, then you have absolutely... No expectation of God getting to see you when the hourglass breaks, when the death angel takes you, and when you stand before the Almighty, for him to say, oh, I'm so glad to see you. Welcome home. Why should he? That you have lived your whole life in rebellion against, in idolatry towards everything in this world that, that feeds you, that makes you feel good, that somehow builds you up, that somehow gives you a purpose and a, and a meaning in life. If you will not go with, with it in God's way, why in the world do you expect him to welcome you? The times we were in Germany was fascinating because I never understood it. I, I kind of looked like them, by and large. My family certainly is, is you know, Anglo-Caucasian. But did, Germans could spot an American a mile away. They always knew who the foreigners were. It's like, what? I don't get it. 
I mean, I even learned a little German. I could, you know, say hi with the best of them. But they always knew because of the way I either walked, talked, dressed. I don't know. It's the same in the kingdom of God. It's the same in the kingdom of God. There is no inheritance for worshipers of this world. There is none. You are a foreigner to God if you are familiar with this world. And God's wrath, God's anger, and it's, it's interesting because the way I've read it defined was it's an anger mingled with grief. God is bringing his wrath against those who are disobedient. So don't be deceived. Don't let anybody play a shell game with you. Oh, it's okay if I do it just this once. Oh, it's okay, but because now they, you know, we've decided that culturally that's not what it means anymore. Don't let yourself be fooled. God's wrath is against those who are disobedient. Do not, verse 7, be partners. Do not. Church, do not. If you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Savior, do not. Do not fall in with them. Do not get in step with them. Don't go join that formation. It is not anywhere you want to go. It's not anything you want to do. And you certainly don't want to end up there at the finish line. So what is it we do instead? You were once darkness, verse 8. But now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. You were dark, but not anymore. You're light now. And so you live as children of that light. Don't be, be a part of all these fruitless deeds of darkness, this barrenness that this world has that constantly strives and grabs and clutches and grabs and, and hopefully can, can get something out of you to make me feel alive. No. You've given all that up. You have repented of all that because God has taken you and put you into the kingdom of his son. Because you are now in the light of Christ. This light that John 1 tells us is the light of the world is now the light in you. And so now you and I live. And because we live, we are now light as well and we must live. And it's, it's the idea of just the whole tenor of our life as we walk, as we talk, as we are just going about our daily business, as we walk from birth up to death, as we are going through this life. We live as light. And that kind of life produces fruit. It's not barren. Verse 9 tells us that the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And so it is a goodness. It is an inherent characteristic of virtue. And a virtue that is generous, that is benevolent, that is kind. It is a goodness that I'm not looking to get something from you. I am looking to do good for you and towards you. Not because I want something, but because I have something already and I want to share it because it overflows in my life. Goodness, but also righteousness. Righteousness, it is, it, it's a reality that I have been saved. I have been made right. I am no longer guilty before the Lord. 
The Father doesn't hold my sins against me anymore because Jesus has taken my guilt, taken my punishment. I now live forgiven. I now live free. I have been justified, and so now the very nature of my character is one of equity and fairness and justice for all of us. I go through life doing my best to live life fairly and squarely with everyone. And it is a life of truth. It is a life of honesty and integrity. It is the light that brings us and unveils for us the reality that is. You know, as long as your eyes are closed, you can, you can deny that it's there, I guess. But when you turn on the light, when you open your eyes, you can't get away from it. It's there. And it must be dealt with. It must be faced. It must be lived out. Find out then what pleases the Lord. Find out what he accepts. Find out what makes him delighted. Have nothing to do with those fruitless deeds of darkness. Rather, you are to expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. You and I were light. It's amazing. In this very, very dark chapel at night, it is fascinating to light one candle. Because it will cast a shadow all the way to the back of the chapel. It doesn't take much light to chase away darkness. It doesn't take much light to expose and to, to open up the way so that you can walk through without tripping or falling or hurting. It's not that you need to go out there and go around and tell everybody how bad they are. I, I, what good is that going to do? They already know they're bad. And you telling them is probably not going to make it any better. But if you go about living a life of goodness and justice and truth, honesty, integrity, if you just go live your life between the dashes, between the birth and your death, if you just go through this life making sure every day is counting and you're living what is good and true and just, you are going to walk this light of Christ into the dark world where you find yourself. In the company, in the class, in your home, at work, in the platoon you will lead, in the companies you will command. And it will be enough light that it will expose the darkness. 1 Corinthians 15, reminds us, don't be fooled, don't be deceived here, it says. Bad company will corrupt good morals. There's a reason why you and I don't dabble in the things that, that it's shameful, it's embarrassing to mention. Although in our world, we're, farting, we're really starting to run out of things to be embarrassed by, that we should be. See, you and I, the more we are in the light, the more we should recognize the shame and the disobedience that comes in the darkness. And you and I walk in this light. We walk in the light of God's word and God's way so that this world can just see what right looks like. Later in 1 Peter, he would say, live such good lives amongst the pagans. Live such a good, righteous, and true life and light in your dark world that they will come to you and say, what's the meaning? Where did you get this hope? Recognize also, though, that when light comes, the darkness hates the light. That's all of Romans 1 and 2. 
Do you ever, you know, you're sitting there sleeping wonderfully in your dark world? <laughs> and, you know, mom or dad or your roommate or somebody comes in and flips on the light? Ah, <laughs> what are you doing? And so, you know, general, not things that are blessing, tend to come out of your mouth. Because we love the darkness when we're asleep, especially. So don't, don't be fooled if when you walk in bringing that kind of light that the world hates you. You don't have to do anything. Just be good. Just be fair. Just maintain integrity. And then it will be enough to get this world mad at you. That's okay. Live the light because it pleases the Lord, have nothing to do with it. Instead, everything should become exposed as light makes it visible. That's why scripture says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine. Because you and I don't have that light. You and I can't do that. You and I are darkness, and it is only because not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20, that I now live. I now have his light. I have now woken up to the reality of my own situation and Christ has saved me. He has changed me. And now I get to go walk in that light and in that love. And so from here on out, verses 15 and also 16, I have to be very, very careful. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Be careful then. If I know I'm supposed to be living in the light, if I know, well, I got to make sure my days count. I don't want to waste any time. If I'm going to do that, then I've got to be very exact. I've got to be very diligent. Some of you cadets, when you got here, I'm guessing did not know how to tie a necktie. And you had to learn. Now, some of you probably tied your necktie and you have not untied your necktie in three years. That's entirely possible. Or you've just bought the tie that's already tied and you just clip it on. But go with me. If you truly learn how to tie the Windsor knot on your tie, you have to be very exact. You have to, okay, around that one and then back and then back through all the way around the world up and then back down, pull it out, make sure it's all smooth and, and get it just right. And you have to pay attention to that and you have to practice that and you have to get it just right because you don't want the big wide end to be shorter than the long thin end behind it because that looks silly and, and you got to keep doing it to get it right. That's the, that's the idea of exactness and being careful right there. It is taking the time to be exact and precise and, and exact in every moment, every movement. It is never taking for granted what it is you do. I was with an aviation uh, battalion once upon a time, and it was fascinating to see these CW-5s who had been flying helicopters for years and years and years and years and years. And yet every time they got in, they would just go through the checklist. They would just follow the check. They were exact every single time. Well, if flying a helicopter and tying a tie is that important to get it just right, how much more our life between birth and death, between light and dark,
between the goodness and the immorality, between the righteousness and the impurity, between the truth and the covetous self-centered greed. Be careful then. Don't be foolish. Don't be the fool. Don't just live this life for yourself, but be wise. Wise there is a God-centered view of life. What does he want? What is his wisdom? What is his way? Proverbs 1 tells us the beginning, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. And so as I fear him, I begin to understand him. As I understand him, I now know how to live for him. Be wise, making the most of every opportunity. Make the most. One of the biggest complaints I hear about this place is how busy you are, cadet. And yes, you are. And yes, it's not going to change. Because you are learning how to make the most of your time. You are being given a great gift. Trust me, it's a great gift. That will come to bless you in the years to come. Especially those of faith. Because you are learning how to buy up. The idea is buy up everything available. Grab all of it as soon as you can. Who would have thought last March we would be standing in line for toilet paper? But boy, you go buy it up as fast as you could. How much more for our soul do we buy up what is good, what is righteous, what is true? Buy it up and don't give it up because the days are evil. It is a morally wicked world out there. You and I saw it last week with Adam and Eve there in the back. All of that sin still rests. All of that reality is still here. There's nothing we can do to get away from it except in Christ. John 3, starting in verse 19, says this, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. See, you and I can't do it on our own. But you and I, as we gather here each week to praise his name, you and I, as we come together in each day, each moment, each week, we confess our sin, our failure, and each time we turn to him again and say, Lord, I blew it again. Lord, I was, I was, I was loving the darkness. I'm sorry. Dear God, I was trying to do it my own way. I can't do that. I can't make it like that. And we confess that we can't do anything with our darkness. His light comes. His forgiveness comes. And we are called again to that holiness, to that goodness, to that righteousness, to that truth that brings light. Church, make it count. Brothers and sisters, don't, don't waste the time between birth and death. But look to your own life and say, Lord, help me be this, this. Help them see in my life what is plainly the work of God. And the world will be blessed and the world will curse and the world will do all sorts of great things to you. But thanks be to God, the greatest gift will be when we see that angel in the broken hourglass, we will know this last limerick is true. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ 
will last. Let's pray. Lord God, indeed, you are the God who makes all things possible and true. Dear Lord, help us not to have any hint of the immorality and impurity and greed of this dark, dark world. But instead, dear Lord, help us to live a life of light that produces the fruit of light and righteousness. Oh, Lord, help us to live a life that exposes the darkness so that Jesus Christ is lifted up. Lord, let us rise up from the dead. Let us wake up and let Christ shine. And Lord, help us to be very, very careful to live in your wisdom and to live in your light, making the most of every opportunity, making the days count. I pray this for all these who are here and all who hear me in Jesus' name. Amen. So having heard that word, you and I now get to gather around this table. If you remember last month, we talked about what we do here now. We're back to our little individually wrapped things. And yet it represents so much more. It is representing a call. Let us look back and say, Jesus, you have died on my behalf. Y'all, it is a rehearsal. We're getting ready for this marriage supper of the Lamb. You and I get to be the bride of Christ. You and I get to celebrate and party with him forever. And you and I get the chance to be nourished then in his presence. As he strengthens us and he feeds us by his spirit. As he helps us get past those dark deeds of our own shadowy heart. And replaces it with the light of his love, his light, his light. And then we're proclaiming. We are telling this world this is what makes all the difference. This is what makes me alive. What Jesus has done for me. So we hear in God's word this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you would, go ahead and peel that first layer off. There you go. Paul wrote this. For I have received from the Lord that which I have delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he gave him thanks, he broke it and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Next one, if you can get it there. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Why did he say this? Because it's for as often as you eat this bread, as you drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death. You are proclaiming that light has conquered darkness. You are letting them know that from birth to death, you are not alone. You are not left to your own. You are not helpless or hopeless. You can go live as children of the light so that it makes a difference everywhere you go. Let us pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for this bread and this cup. We give you thanks that we can gather around your table and hear your word 
spoken over us, a blessing over us. Dear God, that that death of Jesus Christ is a death on our behalf and effective to our souls. Dear God, that we are being strengthened and nourished by this living word, this bread of life. Dear God, that this cup of salvation, this blood shed at the cross, is effective still today. And dear God, that we are preparing and rehearsing and getting ready for the day that will come when that hourglass is broken, when our time is up, when the days no longer can be counted. We can come before your presence in eternity knowing that we made the days count. And that we had lived a life in such a way that we are children of the light and you, O oh Father, will look at us and recognize us as your children and say, well done. Welcome home, my dear child. Dear God, that is what we pray for and look to and experience and thank you for here at this table. Dear God, we give you the praise and we give you the honor. We lift up our prayers in your name because through you and in you and to you forever and ever be the light and glory. In Jesus, your name, I pray. Amen. Let us stand and give him that praise and thanksgiving as we offer up to him our thanks for the day. As we go out from his presence and take our light, the light of Christ, into this dark world, let us go with this hymn, this commitment. Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts. Craig's going to play all the way through it once here at hymn 121 so that you can hear the tune. It's easy to follow. And let us sing that as our dedication this morning. Hymn 121.
God's people said? Amen. Thank you for that. It's good to learn something new. It certainly fits. By the way, as you sing, I know this one's a little harder if you're singing, trying to know the note and read the words at the same time. But as we sing that again, and we will, read those words. That it is God who feeds. It is his light that guides. It is his love that makes us live. Let us go forth in that light and life and love and live so that this world sees the light. Go down in this blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in that peace, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and let us serve the Lord. Amen.